All right, Pastor Mark here with the Real Marriage Podcast. Really good news. Did you know we just crossed over more than 100 episodes of the Real Marriage Podcast? First, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all who have listened, supported, and helped us get the word out over the last three years. In the next few weeks, we're going to do something kind of fun and special. We're going to highlight some of the most popular episodes. We hope that these encourage you and are a big help in your marriage journey. Uh, lastly, if you enjoy today's podcast, make sure to leave a review. Give us a five-star rating and tell all your friends. The decisions daily in your marriage are really this. In this moment, when we're frustrated, when we're tempted, when we're struggling, whatever the case may be, are we going to invite the Holy Spirit down? Are we gonna pull demonic spirits up? Are we gonna invite the culture of heaven into our home? Are we gonna pull the culture of hell up into our marriage? Recognize your enemy today. Recognize your enemy and also the one who defeats him so that you can walk in his victory. Hey, this is Grace and Mark Driscoll with The Real Marriage Podcast. Our story is not perfect, our marriage is not perfect, but thankfully, our God is perfect. Let's get into today's episode. Well, howdy, Mark and Grace Driscoll here with The Real Marriage Podcast. And uh, Hello, everyone. (laughs) I'm really excited. Since we have never had an argument or a fight, and we've pretty much done everything (laughs) perfectly, uh, we're really in a strong position to share with others how they should do it, right, babe? Sure. Sure. Okay, so I'll give you free permission, though I might jump in and interrupt you at some point. Um, There was a conversation, you might call it an argument, I'll give you that jurisdiction, that we were having, I think it was in the bathroom, and it was one of those revelations that really sent us down one of two paths for good or evil for the future of our marriage. You remember that conversation? Okay, you can tell the story. (laughs) Yeah, we had been in an argument, and it was kind of a cul-de-sac. We just kept going back to the same place. And I was feeling really desperate, like, Lord, why do we keep coming back to this place of arguing? And I just started praying in my head as you were trying to articulate your frustration. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to say, tell him you're not his enemy. And I thought, well, that's so strange. Of course, I'm not his enemy. I'm his wife. And we've been married for, you know, 10 plus years. But I said it because I felt like that was what the Lord was asking me to do. And I just point blank told you, I'm not your enemy. And you looked at me and said- I looked at you and said- Yes, you are. Yes, you are. There is a list of dumb things that I've said in our marriage. (laughs) This might make the top 10. Uh, The other was, uh, if you work for me, I would have fired you. Mm, Yeah, that was priceless. These were hugely helpful moments in our marriage. So make sure you write this down, kids. These are great (laughs) coaching tips. Um, and in that moment, you said, we, and we did, we had like many couples, this cul-de-sac, we'd fall into this same argument. It's almost like we would repeat the same lines mm-hmm. and then end up in the same place and we'd both be exhausted and we'd walk away with no resolution. And you broke through it all. And I think the Lord broke through it all, you know, through you. And when you said, I'm not your enemy, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Absolutely. That is in that moment, how I felt. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean it's reality. And so... What that did for me is it, it it awakened my understanding of spiritual warfare in marriage, mm-hmm. and it um, it meant that we really did have an enemy, and in that moment he had convinced me that you were my enemy. Mm-hmm. How 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 often do you think this happens in most marriages, most Christian marriages? A lot, yeah. I mean, resentment is a form of that because the enemy comes in and pits you against each other and makes you believe that he's not the enemy, that you are enemies of each other. And it's his best way of getting you to divide the home. 
And if you buy into that, then that's your future is division. Well, and with that, if you're my enemy, then we're in the fight or flight cycle. I'm either going to argue and engage you, or I'm going to withdraw, retreat, do the silent treatment, parallel lives, jump in the car and leave, turn on the television and ignore. And I think this is where a lot of marriages get stuck and they don't see it as spiritual warfare. Well, and it triggers you to however you were raised. So if you were raised with the silent treatment, you tend to do that. Or if you were raised in a yelling family, perhaps, then then maybe that's how you defend yourself in those times instead of stopping and together going to the Lord and saying, okay, this isn't working. How do we unite against our common enemy and come together as husband and wife? Well, and that's where, so when we sat down to write the Win Your War book on spiritual warfare and we'll apply it to marriage in this series of podcasts, most people think there's two of us in the marriage. There's the husband and the wife. For those who are Christians, they think, well, there's three of us in the marriage. You know, a cord of three strands is not easily <laughs> broken, but a cord of four strands is. Yes. And it's not just the husband, the wife, and the Lord. It's the husband, the wife, the Lord, and the enemy of the husband, the wife, and the Lord. And we have to keep pushing the enemy out. Yeah, we need to keep pushing the enemy out, inviting the Lord in and understanding that there really are four people in our marriage constantly at work. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we want to get into. And I'll do a bit of theological setup, and then I want to make this really practical with Grace. She's the really helpful one. I'm your nerd friend. (laughs) Um, But I think the reason that many people don't apply spiritual warfare to the context of marriage is, number one, it's just not really been talked about much. And, And what you tend to get is something called cessationism, which basically teaches, you know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the demonic basically ceased in the first century. That was a long time ago. We've moved on. It's not like that anymore. On the flip side, you get sensationalism, which is really bad speculative teaching Mm -hmm. about Satan and demons that causes people to be scared or wary of anything that mentions the demonic realm. And then in the middle, there is the Bible, which is completely supernatural, but it doesn't teach a cessationism that God doesn't work the way he used to, neither does Satan, or a sensationalism that everything can be blamed on Satan and demons. And so let me just unpack where we're going to be going for you in the next number of podcasts and start by saying that God has two families and God's understanding of governance is family. And so he has a human family in the seen realm. He has a divine family in the unseen realm. We're very familiar with the family in the human realm, men, women, children. There's also divine beings in the unseen realm. In Job 38, 4 through 7, God has this question for Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars, those are angels, sang together and all the sons of God, those are other divine beings, shouted for joy. Uh, God looks at Job and he says, okay, you're, you're struggling right now, but let me ask you this. Where were you when I created everything? And he's talking about beings that existed before human beings, and he calls them the sons of God. So think of this. God's a father. Jesus is a son. God's people are a family in the seen and unseen realm. And what happens then is Satan in heaven declares war on God's family in the unseen realm. He loses that war and it comes down to the earth in the seen realm and this war continues in your marriage. And so the the case that we wanna make is that the war for your marriage started before God even made the world. And so Revelation 12, seven through nine is one of the most important texts in the Bible on spiritual warfare. It says, now war arose in heaven. And so let me ask you this question, babe. So 
you know, in heaven, you've got angels and other divine beings. They are God's family in the unseen realm. And it says that war arose in heaven. Okay. So what, what does that mean? Some people think if we just are in church, if we're in the Bible, if we're in prayer, we're in the Lord's presence, we're, we're together, then Satan isn't going to attack us. Is that true? No, absolutely not. He's always trying to be crafty, just like he was in the garden. They were living in perfect surroundings, and God had just given them an order to how they need to live their life. And yet in perfect surroundings, they still had the enemy attacking them and they gave in to his ploy. And so we need to be on guard for that. Again, like you said, don't blame everything on Satan, but we need to be aware of his schemes in our marriage. And he'll take our weaknesses. He'll take um, wounds that haven't healed. He'll take lies that people have said to us and he will manipulate those to continue to cause division. And war was declared in the presence of God. And so, you know, Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says that war broke out in heaven. So perfect beings in a perfect environment right. um, have an imperfect response and declare war. The, the point is that you can be a Christian. You could be filled with the Spirit. You can be in the Scriptures. You can be in prayer. You can be in church. You can be in the presence of God and in your heart declare war on God and open yourself to demonic temptation. Mm -hmm. So war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fought back against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. And just for those of you that are nerds like me, the Bible often uses language of wild beasts and animals to speak of demons to give us some corollary and it's doing so here. Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So God is a family. God is a father who is the head of a divine household. Uh, he has a divine family of the sons of God and Satan decides, you know what? It's time for war. I'm going to attack the head of the household, God the father. I'm going to take over the family. I'm going to cause division. Division literally means two visions. If you don't share the same vision in your marriage, Satan has already won a war against you. And Jesus says a house divided can't stand. And so the spiritual warfare erupts in God's family, attacking God's headship. We see that in Job, like you mentioned, when Job was tested and his wife denounced God. So they're divided. He's trying to remain faithful and she's trying to deny God. Yep. And so a couple of things I just want to point out. Number one, all your battles are part of the great war. The great war started before human beings and it started before the world. Number two, the presence of God does not ensure holiness. You need to have a surrendered heart. The fallen angels who became demons as well as Satan, they were in God's presence, but they didn't have a heart for God. In addition, number three, there's always a war for the governance. Who's going to be the head of the family? Who's going to be the head of the household? And so what happens then in this war in heaven comes to earth. Jesus says, I think it's in Luke 12, 41, I, say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So here's God. There's a war. Satan and demons are cast down. And then you know the storyline of the Bible, babe. Where does the war show up next? On earth. On earth. Not just on earth, but... In the marriage. In the marriage. Mm -hmm. The first thing that Satan does is he attacks the marriage. He attacks the marriage. Because he can destroy a legacy at that point. And, and let me ask you this. Why do you think Satan didn't even show up till Adam was married? He could have showed up when Adam was single. Mm -hmm. He could have gotten him to deny God, walk away from God 
God would have had no need to create Eve. Adam would have died because of sin. There would be no human race. One guy gone, that's it. And then game over, humanity ends. Why do you think that Satan waited until Adam received a wife and then was in the covenant of marriage before he even showed up? I think it's just a strategy that he can get to the whole family and not just the man. He can get to the wife. He can get to the kids. He can get to generations to come and not just one person. And so some of you are hearing this and maybe you're single and you're thinking, well, I can't wait till I'm married and then my battle will be over because right now I'm battling for purity. (laughs) Does the battle end or start when you get married? It starts. It starts. And the storyline of the Bible is there's a wedding and then there's a war. (laughs) And after the wedding comes the war. And the problem is with most marriages, we put all of our energy into the first day. How do we have a great wedding? Not preparing for war. And then war hits and we're, we're just totally bewildered. Why are we fighting? Why do we not get along? How come it's not so easy? Why are we struggling and disappointed? And then the enemy whispers in our ear and says, you married the wrong person? Mm-hmm. Or this person is your enemy? They're out to hurt you and get you. You can't trust them. You need to defend yourself from them. You need to protect yourself from them, which means that the two are no longer one. And that's how spiritual warfare comes into the marriage. Why do you think that so many people, babe, they they feel these things, they experience these things, but they don't have language for it in terms of spiritual warfare? Why do you think that is? I think that's part of the deception. I think, you know, God creates and Satan counterfeits. God gave us a covenant with himself as believers, and then he gives us the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And Satan tries to come in and counterfeit that. Anything he can do to divide it, to destroy what it looks like to walk with Jesus both before you're married and after you're married, anything he can do to destroy that gives him points on the board is how he sees it. Well, and if it is a war, then you've got to assume my wife and I, as soon as we determine that we're going to be in covenant with God and we're going to be one and we're going to, we're going to raise a family that loves and serves the Lord, you literally have gotten out of your foxhole Mm -hmm. in the field of battle and you are standing upright and you are going to get shot at. And you can influence people with a horrible marriage if you're a Christian and show people that it really doesn't work to follow Christ and love each other if you give in to the enemy's tactics. It's a it's a really horrible witness, and it witnesses to a lot of people because the world doesn't want to believe that God works. And so if you feed into that lie by not going to God in your marriage and bringing about unity, then you have a testimony that's actually working toward evil, and the enemy loves that. Well, that testimony starts with your own kids. Mm-hmm. And so the storyline of the Bible is uh, Satan doesn't even show up until Adam and Eve are married, and his first attack is on marriage. His first attack is not on the church, it's not on the government, it's on the marriage. And it's because in God's governance, the marriage is the building block for all other organizations and institutions. The church is founded on families. The government and nations are founded on families. In some regards, for covenant relationships, our covenant relationship with Jesus is the cornerstone, but the next stone that's laid is our covenant of marriage. Mm-hmm. And so if he can do anything to damage or harm marriage, then everything starts to crumble. Societies crumble, churches crumble, governments crumble as families crumble. And so by Genesis 4, it's amazing. Genesis 1 and 2, God says everything is good and very good. Genesis 3, spiritual warfare comes on our parents, the first married couple. Genesis 4, they finally have kids. One kid murders the other. Mm -hmm. Doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for Satan to get the whole family and generations and legacy. Mm -hmm. And so part of the key of the Bible is that God thinks in terms of legacy and generations, so does Satan. 
Uh, God wants a thousand generations, so does Satan. Everything that God creates, Satan is trying to counterfeit. Everything that God builds, Satan is trying to break. And so what happens in Genesis 3, we want to reframe your understanding. Many of you are very familiar with this section of the scriptures. Look at it through the lens of spiritual warfare as an attack on marriage. Genesis 3 is not just an attack on humanity, it's an attack on marriage. And what we would say is that spiritual warfare is like gravity. It exists whether or not you acknowledge or recognize it. It affects everything, every single day. Let me ask you real quick, what was the, and we'll get into this some in the next podcast, but what was Satan's tactic, his demonic attack on the wife, and then I'll talk about the husband. He took scripture and twisted it so that she would doubt God's word to her. So Satan misquoted what God had said. Yes. He lied to her. He said, God knows that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But that's not what God said. And God had already created Eve in his image. And so she didn't need to doubt her identity. And so when he lied, then she started to twist scripture herself and not go to the right word that God had given her. And then gave in to Satan's temptation. So is it possible that for women, uh, a lot of the demonic attack or temptation will be around identity? Yes. Because God told her, you know, told them, you're made in my image and likeness. And then Satan comes, he says, you can be like God. Well, God already said they were. That's right. So the identity is not something that they need to achieve. It's something they need to receive. It's not something that they do. It's something that God gives. Mm -hmm. And so she's uncertain of her role. She's uncertain of her value. She's uncertain of her dignity. And as a result of her insecurity regarding her identity, Satan comes and he says some things that are absolutely untrue. And this is the power of a lie. And we'll get into this in future episodes that part of spiritual warfare is just lies. Jesus says in John 8 that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. A lie doesn't need to be true, but what happens if you believe it? Let's say for a woman, if she believes a lie like like Eve did, even though it's not true, what happens? Everything in her life is lived around that lie. So what are some common lies that women believe as part of spiritual warfare? Well, identity is definitely one of them that they're not valued, that they aren't loved. Um, and so then they have to prove themselves somehow. Um, they're lied to about what is good and what is evil. They're lied to about who God is as a loving father and think that somehow he doesn't love them or take care of them or protect them. Part of our curse is that we'll want to rule over our husband. We're equal. Our value is equal. We don't have to try and prove that. God already gave that to us at creation. And so for the man, for the husband, for the woman, we would say that a lot of her sin was commission. She said and did some things she shouldn't have said and done. A lot of Adam's sin was omission. He didn't say or do what needed to be said and done. So the problem oftentimes is that passive men then force their wives to be the spiritual leaders, step up to the front lines of a spiritual war. And this is exactly what happens in Genesis 3. And so my point to you men is this, it's very strong. The story of Genesis 3 is this, if you don't lead your family, Satan will. That's right. And that's exactly what happened in Genesis 3. Adam did not lead his family, so Satan did. And so men, you just need to know those are really only your two options. Either you lead your family with love and humility like Jesus Christ, not domineering or overbearing, but loving and serving. And if you do not, Satan will fill that gap. He will meet that lack. And ultimately, your wife will be in a vulnerable place. Your children will be in a dangerous place. Generations of your family will be implicated negatively. And we'll close with this, that 
that right now you husbands and wives have got an incredibly important decision to make, and that is whether or not you are going to invite heaven down into your marriage or you're going to pull hell up into your marriage. That right now, ultimately, there are only two cultures. There's the kingdom of God and his culture of love and forgiveness and truth and unity and relationship. And then there's the culture of hell where there is no love, there is no unity, there is no forgiveness, there is no affection, and there is no legacy. And so the decisions daily in your marriage are really this. In this moment, when we're frustrated, when we're tempted, when we're struggling, whatever the case may be, or we're hurt, are we going to invite the Holy Spirit down? Or are we going to pull demonic spirits up? Are we going to invite the culture of heaven into our home? Or are we going to pull the culture of hell up into our marriage? And in Genesis 3, God gave them the culture of heaven, and they literally pulled hell up into their marriage. And we have been dealing with it, all of humanity, ever since. And we're part of the legacy of pain that comes from a spiritual battle that was lost by parents, which means when we are in our spiritual battle, we need to think about 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years from now, the number of people that'll come from our covenant union and marriage and whether or not they're going to be blessed or cursed from the decisions that we make. Recognize your enemy today. Recognize your enemy and also the one who defeats him so that you can walk Amen. in his victory. Mm -hmm. Where do you think we would be today, totally honestly, if it wasn't for God opening our understanding that we're not the enemy, but we do have an enemy, and there's not just two or three of us, but four of us in the marriage? we probably would not be married or we would be continuing our bitter battle. And so we'd like to help you with that and we'll see you in the next episode. Hey friends, Grace here. Today, we want to invite you to go deeper with us by downloading my special study guide to help you win your war. Take what you've heard and start putting it into practical use with questions for personal reflection and discussions for you and your spouse. All you have to do is text more grace, that's one word, more grace, to 31996. That's more grace, one word, to 31996 to get our Win Your War study guide sent directly to you instantly. We want to share a huge thanks to you for listening to today's podcast. For more information on this podcast and all the wonderful marriage content from the XO Podcast Network, visit xomarriage.com slash realmarriage. We'd also love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. That lets others know what to expect when they tune into Real Marriage with Mark and Grace Driscoll. Until next week, God bless.